Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. something on my heart the challenge that I will have tonight is delivering it like I feel God has given it to me and so I just covet your prayers always but I want you to turn with me if you will to the book of Acts I'm going to read um, two different passages of scripture and um, if you can't turn there quick enough they'll be on the screen but book of Acts chapter 14 and I'll begin reading at verse number 5 Amen. There's a sweet, sweet presence of the Lord. Amen. I know it's just a very short journey from our home to the church, but in that short journey, the Lord just began to deal with me about a few more things, and um, that's why I just felt imperative to come in, sit down, and write down what I feel like the Lord has given me, and um, let's just follow his will tonight. Amen. But I don't want to make this journey alone. I've preached by myself before. It's a lonely thing. Amen. But I've I've preached with you, with me, and that's a wonderful journey. Acts chapter 14 and verse 5. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled to Lystria and to Derbe and the cities of Lyconia and into the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there said a certain man of Lystra, of Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled, a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. My second text is going to be from 2 Timothy 4 and 19. The Bible says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. And Aristus stayed in Corinth But Tremophius, I have left in Miletus sick. Amen. Eurytus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus, I have left in Miletus sick. I want to speak with the help of the Lord tonight from this thought. In the face of unanswered prayer. In the face of unanswered prayer. Amen. Let's just pray together. Can we, Lord, I love you today and... I thank you for the hope that we find in your word. I thank you for the confidence of the Holy Ghost, Lord, the confidence and the assurance that we have in your word. 
And I'm asking you, oh God, to touch our hearts here in this house this evening. Not only to those that are in attendance in this service, but to those joining us online. I ask you tonight, God, to just let this word minister to every listening heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I, I just want to take a journey, and we're going to be kind of walking through several um, passages, or at least stories, that we would find in the book of Acts. And so our story begins to unfold in Lystra. And so we understand from uh, just a short study of the Apostle Paul's life that he was certainly not bashful about preaching the gospel. He had an experience on the road to Damascus, second to none, that was so incredible that Paul said later that if we are an angel come preaching any other message, let them be accursed. It was because Paul didn't inherit this gospel. This wasn't passed down from generation to generation. This was a divine revelation that left him physically and spiritually and emotionally affected. Amen. And so Paul was convinced. And so he went everywhere. The man that once fought against, of course, this gospel, now preaching this gospel. And so in Lystra, while preaching, it just seems apparent to me, I don't like to read too much into Scripture, certainly to take it out of context, but I think I'm safe, that undoubtedly Paul noticed while he was preaching a man there that was crippled. Obviously, he would not have known the backstory. We do know a little bit that he had never walked. For all Paul knew, this was a man had walked up until just a year ago. He had an accident and... Now he's unable to walk, but we know from his mother's womb, according to the scripture, he couldn't stand, crippled from his mother's womb, and whether or not he had heard about the ministry of Paul, I guess is left up to our own supposition, but nevertheless, maybe he did and wanted to come and hear him. Perhaps he thought God could do a miracle in his life, or maybe he was just along for the ride. It could have been just his mother or whoever that brought him there. But at some point during the service, Paul saw him, and according to the scripture, he recognized his faith. He didn't just see his crippled condition, but he recognized something in his faith. And Paul stopped preaching, and he spoke to this crippled man, and he said, stand upright on thy feet. And immediately, according to the word of God, the lame man leaped up, walked around, now, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot for us to put ourselves in that position. Either one of those roles would have been a very difficult thing, a very bold move for Paul to say to a crippled man, just get up on your feet. But it also took a lot of faith on the part of the crippled man who had never walked. Amen. This wasn't like the old saying, you know, like riding a bicycle, you, you never forget how. This wasn't a man that had enough faith to say, I've done this before. I was doing this up until thus and so happened to me. But here is a man that had never known what it was like to stand on his feet or to walk. Amen. So I have to, I have to tip my hat, so to speak, at the Apostle Paul for having the courage and the confidence in himself and in God. And also for the crippled man to have that kind of courage to just stand. So the Bible says that he leaped up and that he walked. And so it was a miracle unlike 
anyone in Lystra had ever seen. They were amazed. They had to have been amazed, astonished. But I think it's curious if we look at their response. Their response to that was this. The Bible says, they said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They didn't say that God, capital G, had come down in the likeness of men, but they were talking about their gods. Strange gods have come down in the likeness of men, and they called Barnabas Jupiter, who was their supreme god, and then they called Paul Mercury because he was a noted speaker of their day. And so here it was, they gathered all these people together because they wanted them to be a part of what was happening at the end, as an end result of their gods. So a Paul, Paul, no matter how much he had taught them about the oneness of God and the man Christ Jesus, Lord God Almighty, robed in flesh, I mean, they were awestruck by the miracle and started to worship Paul and Barnabas, not Jesus. They were worshiping them. So we don't really know if Lystra was a big town or a small town, but either way, I think it's very safe to say that those that were assembled in that congregation, there had to be many there that knew the backstory of this young man, or this crippled man at least, and that he had never walked. The Bible says in the, in the following verses that, that the, uh, the priest came, the priest came bearing an ox and garland, and they were going to sacrifice that ox, and they were going to worship Paul and Barnabas. Because again, they thought their gods had revealed themselves in the likeness of flesh. And so they came prepared. They called, uh, they called their, their leader. They called a great speaker. They called the priest. Amen. And so when Paul and Barnabas realized what they were about to do, the scripture says that they rent their clothes or they tore their garments and they went essentially running through the crowd and saying, what are you thinking? What, what are you doing? We're men just like you. We're made of the same thing that you're made of. And if you want to worship anybody, you need to worship Jesus Christ. That's who we're preaching. It's, it's he alone. Amen. He's the only one that could make this miracle happen. It was a strange scene. So if I could just recap that. Paul is just preaching. He's doing what Paul does. He recognizes not only a crippled man, but he sees his faith. He declares unto him to rise and be healed. And that young man got up and was healed in that instant. Those that were there mistook Paul and Barnabas to be their gods manifested in flesh. And so they came to worship them. And so Paul and Barnabas is trying to get all of this reconciled and pulled back together and say, wait a minute, this is not about us. This is about the Lord that we represent. So in the midst of all of this strange scene that I hope I've painted clearly enough in your mind, stands one undeniable thing, and that is a miracle. There are those that misunderstood who Paul and Barnabas were. There were those that misunderstood this moment being a moment of sacrifice. But amid all of this confusion, while Paul and Barnabas is trying to quieten the crowd and bring order back to chaos, in the shadows was a man walking and leaping that had never walked, never stood on his feet at all. A miracle right in their midst. Amen. This was the very first miracle that we see in the Apostle Paul's ministry. So if we look at the second miracle, it's two chapters later. Paul, Luke, and Timothy, and Silas, they sailed, they sailed to Philippi. And Paul and his team of ministers, they were making some forward progress. 
They had baptized Lydia and her household, and then they went up to prayer. So if we think about Lydia in Scripture, the Bible lets us know that she was a fortune teller, and apparently she was a good fortune teller. Amen? Because she was also a slave. She wasn't just a fortune teller, but she was owned by, by someone else. And the money that she was making by being a fortune teller, she was having to pass that money on to her master. And so we see this great moment of deliverance that Lydia has been, uh, the, the spirit of the Lord is touching her. The Bible talks about her following Paul around, uh, crying out, saying to them, these men are the servants of the most high God. They show us the way of salvation. That all seems complimentary. These are men of God. They're servants of the most high God. And so at first glance, that seems harmless. She, recognized, she was a recognized face in the community and she was a recognized voice in the community. And so it would seem like a pretty good seal of approval. But, but finally, Paul had enough and Paul turned to her and he spoke to the spirit in her, not to Lydia, but to the spirit in her. And he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Amen. Immediately, that evil spirit came out of Lydia. Amen. Now, that would be a reason to rejoice. Certainly, you would think that someone that's been delivered from a demonic uh, oppression or a demonic possession, amen, you would think everybody would want to rejoice about that, but her master saw this much differently. They saw this as a great interruption to their income. Because if she's no longer going to be used by the devil to, to be a fortune teller, then she's not going to be making money. If she's not making money, we're not making money. And so you would think about amid everything that was going on, they would be happy, but they were not happy at all. So they had Paul and Silas locked up. They had them arrested. So again, note this odd response to a miraculous thing and the ministry at the ministry hands of the apostle Paul. So Paul and Silas are arrested. They're locked into an inner prison. If I could just pause right here for a moment, I would like to say this, that I believe that we as adults, and certainly if you're a parent of minor children, I think that we have to be very, very careful about what we have opened ourselves to spiritually. We live in a very w wicked world. And Satan is not going to come to you dressed in a red outfit with a, with a spear and a pointed tail and horns. He's, that's not how that's going to unfold. Many times you will not, without the Holy Ghost, recognize the evil that is layered and folded and woven into the fabric of our society. Many times things that, are, that look very, very innocent on the outside are not innocent at all because there is a demonic spirit behind that to destroy the family, to destroy children. And so I, I, I just think that we should be very, very careful. I doubt this, Lydia, I doubt this girl ever thought in her wildest dream, what I wanna be when I grow up is I wanna be used of the devil to be a fortune teller and I wanna be a slave so I can take the majority of everything I make and give it to people who own me. That was not her dream job. That was not, that was not her idea of making it. But for some, for some reason, somewhere along the way, maybe it was just through innocence or perhaps through curiosity, this young lady opened herself to that spirit world. Please don't judge her because we all have the same opportunity before us always to open the door of opportunity 
for the enemy to come in or for us to step into a door that we don't need to step into. Amen. At that moment, whatever that was, whether it was born um, out of innocence or whether it was a calculated move, we don't have any idea about that. But when she opened the door to that, and when we open the door to that, rest assured the devil will gladly step through that door. And he plays for keeps. Amen. You've heard it said many times about sin. It'll, it'll take you further than you intended to go, cost you more than you intended to pay. Amen. And, and uh, there are many things we could say about sin. Another thing that we could say about sin is just because you're done with it doesn't mean it's done with you. So we have to be very careful that we don't open the door. We can't be too careful when it comes to entertaining things that are wrong. That's why we need to pray for a spirit of discernment. And if something doesn't feel right and you got the Holy Ghost, it doesn't feel right because it's not right. And you've got a will that can override that, but you've also got a spirit that can check you. And we need to let the spirit of the Holy Ghost check us, check us. Amen. But I will tell you this, that, if, that sometimes we may open a door that we, can, that we can't shut, but God can. <laughs> God can close that door. And if we want to be delivered from anything, he can deliver us. I've said many times, at some point we have to stop praying for forgiveness and start praying for deliverance and asking God to deliver us from those things. We need faith that God can and that God will. Next, we find Paul in Ephesus. He's baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ. They're receiving the Holy Ghost. Things are going well. Paul was teaching the gospel and all of Asia heard the word of God. However, some began to realize that they would never be able to bring everybody to the apostle Paul. I mean, he was just one man. He's just got a team of ministers and there's no way that we're gonna be able to bring people everybody that has a need to the Apostle Paul. So they began to bring handkerchiefs and aprons from Paul and they started taking them to the sick and those sick people were healed. And that was the first century prayer cloth. That's where we, that's where we get that custom that we still exercise and practice in our church today, sending cloths to people that are sick. We pray in faith. That's not a re religious ritual to us. We pray in faith that that prayer cloth becomes a point of contact Amen, and so God can touch them even if we can't touch them. And so they may not be able to get here, we may not be able to get to where they are, but somebody that does have access to them is gonna bring a prayer cloth and we anoint that with oil in faith, in obedience to the word of God and we believe that no matter where we are or where they are, that God can and will touch and minister in that need. I've prayed over hundreds and hundreds of prayer cloths through the years, but I've also been the recipient of prayer calls when my own, when my I was in a crisis, my own self, Amen. And so I'm thankful not only to have prayed for prayer calls, but I'm thankful to have received some of them, Amen. My wife more than once has walked in our house and she said, "I, I brought something home, Amen." That was the prayers of the church. Hallelujah, it was the faith of the church. It was the hope of somebody else that had strength when I had none, a great comfort in time of need. This was a wonderful season for Paul and his team of ministers. And then the Bible talks about some men from the house of Sceva. They heard about the miracles that God was doing and they heard about the miracles that were happening at the hands of Paul and those that were working with him. So they thought, well, we're going to try our hand at this. 
So we need to understand that Sceva was a Jewish priest. So in essence, the sons of Sceva were preacher's kids. That's what we would call them today, PKs. And so they thought, well, you know, we see what's going on down the road, that big tent revival going on down there, and so we ought to be able to do that. We, maybe they had watched Paul lay hands on them, and, and so uh, they found people that were possessed by demons, and they commanded the demons to come out. But the Bible says that these demons replied, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know. <laughs> Who are you? In Acts 19 and 6, I, I want them to put this scripture on the screen because I think it's important that we get a visual image of this. The Bible says the man that they were praying for, the man that they were looking at and speaking to those demons to say, come out, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. <laughs> a single man leaped on them, plural, and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. What an embarrassing situation. Amen. And so here they are in the face of, uh, of trying to deliver this man. They realize that, that you can't do this in flesh and blood. This is not about somebody being slick enough to pull something off. And so as we move ahead in Scripture, it's not long until we read about almost a, a riot of sorts in, in Ephesus and people feel the, the stadium and they begin to worship the God Diana. Great is the God Diana. Great is the God Diana. And so, and, and, and at this moment, again, another odd response to what the Spirit of the Lord was doing. And so now we find the work of Paul concluding here in Ephesus. It's interesting to note as I've already paused and pointed out a few times, how people responded to the things that were going on around them. Their response, they did respond, but their response was way off. It was just way out of character, way out of key. It should have been, praise God, these things have happened. But instead, in the first instance, they were trying to praise Paul and Barnabas. In the second instance, when something went wrong, uh, when something was positive, that the Bible says that they, uh, Lydia was delivered. The Bible says that, that they arrested Paul. And then finally, at the end, the, the last miracle, we, we find them filling stadiums and saying praise to the goddess Diana. This strange response that first praise Paul, second arrest Paul, second let's praise Diana. And so when God works a miracle, when God does something that nobody else can do, I think we ought to stop and say, to God be the glory. There is no way that this could have happened outside the hand of God, divinely moving. Amen. So no man deserves the credit when God heals, and no man deserves the blame when God doesn't. So I think sometimes we take too much upon ourselves Amen. We can't say, Lord, you know, look at these hands. These are miracle hands. I've got oil dripping out of my fingers and all this nonsense that we hear and read about from time to time. If God, if somebody is healed, if something miraculous happens, there's not a man or a woman living that can take the credit. But if something doesn't happen that we've been believing for, there's no one that should get in line to take the blame. God is God and he is sovereign. Now let's look at Acts chapter 20 if we can. The Bible talks about Paul and his men and they stop in Troas and they're gathered in this upstairs room 
And Paul is preaching his heart out. There are three stories high in this building. And it was, a, in essence, it was Paul's farewell message. And while he was preaching, a young man, many of you know the story, he fell asleep. He was sitting in the window, fell asleep, falls outside of the window. That's a strange thing to happen in church. And a, quite an interruption to a sermon. I can only imagine if I'd have been the Apostle Paul, you're just preaching your heart out, and the next thing you know, somebody falls, and they go down and come back with a message that this young man is dead. But the Bible says that Paul came downstairs and fell on him, and he said to the crowd, don't be troubled, he's alive. He's alive. It was a miracle that nobody could deny, but it was also a miracle nobody could forget. That here is God that has moved in our midst. And so it, it turns out, if we look at the whole story, it turns out to just be a brief interruption. I mean, we would think this would be the service killer of all service killers. And I've seen a few service killers in my lifetime. We would think this would be the service killer of all service killers. But Paul goes down the street and he speaks to him. And then he is healed and he turns to the crowd and said, there's no need to be troubled, he's alive. And so thinking, just like a preacher would think, I know some in the crowd was thinking, well, we probably ought to just wrap this up. And Paul says, let's go back upstairs. I'm not through preaching. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, and Paul begins to preach, and he, the Bible says that he finished his message about daylight, so you're going to be in good shape here tonight. From midnight to daylight, what a message for the ages. But in their midst... I would say that service, especially in its second phase, had to really be something. Because here in their midst was a young man sitting that a moments ago was dead in the street. So now we shift our attention to Acts 28. The last miracle on Paul's resume happened for Publius. He was an official on the island of Malta, but... His father was sick. The Bible talks about him being sick in a bloody flux or sick in dysentery. We may refer to that as. And in his day, this was a fatal disease. So this was nothing at all to take lightly. But Paul heard about a sickness. The Bible says he laid hands on him and prayed for him and God healed him. And when everybody heard about his healing, they brought their friends and their family because they wanted them to be healed as well. They had heard about the great things that God was doing at the hands or in the ministry using the faith, if you please, of the Apostle Paul. And so here are all these wonderful miracles that God has been working. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. But I've got sort of a little bit of a longer closing than normal. I believe tonight that we could emphatically say that we serve a great God. Amen. I, I understand my audience this evening. And I know that we can say we serve a great God. A God that has answered prayer. He's done things that we never dreamed we would see in our lifetime. I don't want to say anything here this evening to take away from the scripture or the miracles, the power of scripture. 
We read about the miracles in the book of Acts and how wonderful they are. But can I tell you, these are not scriptures that are just locked in the first century church. Many of the book of Acts miracles have played out in this modern day. And there are people sitting in this room tonight that have been witness to book of Acts miracles. Amen. Book of Acts miracles. So we serve a great God. And so when we consider the multiple scriptural references that we've had this evening, we can see that God is greater than disease and he is greater than demons and God is greater than sickness and, and God is even greater than death. And while all this is true and while it's exciting and as I mentioned, I believe it's verifiable, not just in the, in the, the pages of history, but I believe it's verifiable in our own lives, in our own hearts. There are people in this building that God has healed them and strengthened them and, and just moved at an 11.59 hour. God has just touched and blessed them. There have been others that have come down for, for prayer or had somebody pray for them wherever the, the, whatever the case may be, ever how it played out. And in that moment, without a lot of fanfare, without a lot of anything, maybe even in the absence of some emotion, the Spirit of the Lord just began to move. We serve a great God. It's all true and it's all exciting. But that still leaves some things undone. Some unfinished business, if you please. And that unfinished business is in the second scripture that I read for my text this evening. And we'll go back there, 2 Timothy 4, 19 and 20. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and of the household of Onesiphorus. And Aristus stayed at Corinth, but Tromophius have I left in Miletus sick. Trophius have I left in Miletus sick. Paul, that I've been talking about tonight, that went from city to city and from house to house preaching the gospel. Paul prayed for people that he had never seen before, and I feel confident he never saw them again. And God did miraculous things to people that were, in essence, total strangers. He prayed for people, and God would do the miraculous. But for Trimophius, it was different. Trimophius was a member of Paul's own ministry team. He ministered along with Paul on his third missionary journey. Trimophius was with Paul in Jerusalem and went in as far as he could to go. He went as far as he could with Paul until Paul was arrested and they had to part ways. And so it was at this juncture that they, they divided, not over division, but over sickness. I believe that they shared a mutual, a mutual love and a mutual respect for one another, but at some point the sickness of Trimophius got to, to the degree that he could no longer travel with the Apostle Paul. And so he had to leave him in Miletus. Now we don't know everything about this sickness. As a matter of fact, we don't know anything about it. We don't know what it consisted of, but we just know that it was it prohibited him from being able to travel with the, with the Apostle Paul and it prohibited him from being able to be actively involved in the ministry as he had been. The last we find of Trimophius, he is in Miletus and the Bible says he is sick. But Paul has to keep going. So Paul 
prays for his friend. Now, I would find it hard to believe that if Paul was going from city to city and house to house and laying hands on total strangers and praying for them, that he wasn't praying an earnest prayer for his friend. Absolutely. I'm sure that Paul had faith for him and that God loved him. And I'm also sure that God could have healed him. So the question that comes to our finite human minds is why didn't he? Why didn't he? I mean, here's God who has all the power on hev- of, of heaven and earth at his disposal, and so why wouldn't he? Why doesn't God at times seem to answer our prayer? So I mentioned a moment ago that I know my audience, and I'm preaching to people that I know have had God answer your prayer. But I'm also willing tonight to say I'm among people that have also had to stand in the face of unanswered prayers. While God has answered some prayers, it seems that God has not answered other prayers. And so what I find interesting is that Paul, nowhere in scripture tries to explain why God didn't heal him. Nowhere. He didn't second guess the faith of Trimophius or he didn't second guess his own faith because the apostle Paul continued to travel And he continued to preach the gospel and wonderful things continued to happen. Amen. Paul did none of that. But he just wrote a letter and that's from what we read tonight. I'm gonna ask you to stand. He wrote in a letter to his friend Timothy that I've had to leave another friend, Trimophius, behind in Miletus and I had to leave him there because he's sick. Amen. I believe we've all perhaps been in a position where we felt compelled to defend why God didn't answer a prayer. I don't think that we thought we were 10 foot tall and bulletproof or that we were God but just in the face of some things, we felt compelled to try to explain why maybe God didn't do this or didn't do that. Maybe we've asked ourselves and blamed ourselves, I didn't have enough faith. Or maybe we've wondered if the people we were praying for didn't have enough faith. We could have asked ourselves, maybe this didn't happen because I have sin in my life. Or we may ask, I wonder if they have sin in their life. Those are all human questions. I realize it's kind of quiet right now. But this is where we live. We've all stood in the mirror of reflection and wondered. We've got so many miracles over here in this signs, miracles, and wonders bag. But over here on this shelf of our life, There's some unanswered prayers. And how do we press forward in the face of unanswered prayers? Well, I'm sorry if I keep saying this, but I know my audience. And I'll tell you how you've pressed on. I'll tell you what it seems to me you've done in the face of unanswered prayers. You just got dressed and come to church tonight. 
And a moment ago when we were worshiping, your hands were high and your voice was loud. Joy was in your heart. This is how you decided we're going to respond in the face of unanswered prayer. We haven't always been able to lift our voices and always been able to lift our hands. I'm not suggesting those are signs of victory, nor am I suggesting they're signs of defeat. But we just kept walking. Even when we couldn't run, we just kept walking. In the face of unanswered prayer, in the face of things that absolutely make no sense, we just decided that I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to trust him. So to all of those questions, did I not have enough faith? Did this, did that? They all may be true or none of those may be true. I don't think it's fair to think that we don't have enough faith or that somebody else doesn't have enough faith or that maybe we have sin in our life or they have sin in their lives. That's not up to us. We can decide about our own lives, but that's not up to us to try to measure those things. It may just be that God has a different plan than what we know about. Amen. So I would say to us this evening that we don't need to feel that we are qualified to defend God or even explain God. And I've said so many times through the years, I, I didn't know how to say it at first. When I first began in the ministry, first started pastoring, I didn't know how to say, I didn't have the courage to say, I don't know. I don't know because I felt compelled to have an answer for every crisis that come along. But then one day I realized that, that it's not up to me to answer that. I can't answer that. We just have to trust him. We have to trust that he knows and that he knows what he's doing, especially when we don't, that he's still in control. And so don't let your faith fail you when God doesn't answer you like you like. Don't stop praying just because God didn't answer as you prayed or when you prayed. But this past February, in our district conference, Brother Daryl Johns preached about Joseph that dreamed one time, but then he dreamed yet again. And he preached a message about daring to dream again or dream again. And so tonight, I would just ask you if you've prayed about that already, dare to pray again. And if you have believed about that one time, dare to believe again. You see, trusting God is rarely tested when God does exactly what you ask. That doesn't take a lot of trust. If we pray and God does it, we say, amen. You have to trust God about that. We high five each other, feel good in our heart. It's often tested when he doesn't answer like we think he should have answered. So God doesn't call us to understand his ways. He calls us to always trust his ways. So, going back to the Apostle Paul one last time. Here is his friend that he left in the bed sick that could no longer go with him. We don't know what the end of that story is. But we just, and I just pull this out for, for a, a, an illustration that Paul had to leave him in bed sick after praying for countless people, nameless, faceless, that received their miracle and they went home with a great testimony. He prayed for him and nothing happened. It would have been a great time for Paul to put his Bible down and say, I'm not gonna do this anymore. That would have been an opportunity for Paul to say, well, if God can't do this for me, then, then I don't know how I could do this for anybody else. 
But he had to walk away and say, I'm still going to believe and I'm still going to trust God. And with the same hand that he laid hands on his friend to what we would deem an unanswered prayer, he had to go lay those hands on somebody else and pray again, another prayer of faith. Do you know what that had to take to pray a prayer of faith? In the face of unanswered prayer? <laughs> so how did this all end for Paul? Here's, here's how it ended. We've heard this. We really hear this more at funerals than, everywhere, than anywhere, really. But 2 Timothy 4 and 7. Here's how Paul ended his ministry journey. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. And I kept the faith. It didn't always work like I wanted it to work. It didn't always happen like I wanted it to happen. But I kept the faith. I realize I've shared this story with you, but maybe somebody's here tonight that's not heard it. Maybe somebody joining us online that has not heard it, so I dare to repeat it again. Many years ago when my brother-in-law was born, my wife's baby uh, brother, her only brother actually, but the baby of their family. When he was born, he was born blind. Not legally blind, not partially blind, but completely blind. And as a child, they were in revival in Miami. They were in revival, and they were in revival with a man by the, an evangelist by the name of Joe Duke. And the interesting thing about this story is that evangelist Joe Duke was blind. Not legally blind, but stone blind. And they took my brother-in-law as a baby down to the front. I feel the Holy Ghost. My Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost. And Brother Duke laid his hands on my brother-in-law just as a child. And from that moment, over the next of a course of a few days, his eyes started weeping some fluids from them and when that weeping stopped he had perfect vision amen we rejoice about that our family my wife's family has rejoiced about that but can I tell you something that that night when Joe Duke got through praying and the service was over somebody led him back to his motel room blind and Joe Duke, and I say that respectfully, Brother Joe Duke, left this world blind. So what do you do in the face of unanswered prayer? You got a blind baby that needs to be healed? Bring him down. Bring him down. He didn't have a big S on his chest. No, no. He's just a man like you and I who probably had a thousand questions that we've never could live long enough to think about because he was living this. So how do you respond in the face of unanswered prayer? I'm not talking about being a hero. I'm not talking about leaping over walls, running through troops. I'm just talking about putting one foot in front of the other and just say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. I, I, I don't always understand but I want to trust you and I want you to just help me to trust you. Amen. Is there anybody here tonight that'll join me? I need the Lord to help me trust him. 
Amen. We were singing this song early in our service. Amen. And we were talking about the words of this song said, he's the Lord of my life and I love him. For the sake of just ending this service tonight, instead of saying and singing, I love him, can we say and sing and pray and I trust him. I trust him. Amen. Join us together. Let's find a place in the altar, would you? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.